Yes, another psalm sermon. I got a new book about the psalms in. I got two more on the way. So uh, maybe more coming by the time I get done. But uh, anyway, Psalm 96. And uh, we'll go ahead and read all 13 verses as our text and we'll, we'll jump right on in. Psalm 96. O sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. There's many ways to study the Bible, and I've thought about this before and no matter how you study it, it's it's a marvelous thing. You can study the Bible as if from a spaceship, and you can just get so far back you just see all of it in one view, and it's a it's such a beautiful thing to behold. You can study the Bible as if from an airplane, and you just see those vast reaches of uh, of, of portions of Scripture. You can study the Bible with, as with a telescope. You can be in one place and look clear off to the other end and you can piece things together and see truths. You can study the Bible as with a magnifying glass. You can, boy, you can dig into a verse there and see things. You can study the Bible as if with a microscope. Get that one little word and you get in there and get to digging on that one little word or the tenths of a word, or that's what I do anyway. But yeah, you, you really get to dig it in there. Uh, you can study the Bible as if, as if as uh, is, is with an x-ray machine. Boy, you get in you start seeing the structure and, and the bones and the background of everything connecting the Bible. Uh, I don't care how you study it. There are wonders to behold. There's truths to be found. There's treasures to be unearthed. Just think about finding treasures. And I'll tell you, one of my life's goals that has yet to be fulfilled is I want to find an arrowhead. I want to find an arrowhead. Now, Jack told me he's never found one, so I don't feel so bad. But my dad found some. Bill Adams is an expert on that. But I, I want to find an arrowhead. I want to be walking along and look down and find an arrowhead. I, I've gone hunting for them before. My dad told me, he said, well, you go after a big rain, you know, kind of washes out and go look for them. At least that's what he told me. That's why I hadn't found them. I was following him. But, but that's what he told me to do. And walk, walk, you know, walking along the road and kind of wash out and, 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 and gullies and stuff after rains. And 
I've got down close to the ground, you know, looking real close, and I've just walked along casually, like, ah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just stumble across it, you know, act like you don't want it, and it'll, you know, come around. Perhaps I'll go to heaven without finding one. I, I guess I wouldn't be too upset in that case, but I just, I would love to find an arrowhead. One of these days, maybe. Now, if any of y'all set it up and put it on my driveway, I'll know, okay? So, just, you know, you know, here's the thing. You can search for something all your life and you can never find it. But you can open God's Word and find priceless nuggets of truth every single time you open it. Looking this morning at Psalm 96, it's a wonderful psalm of praise. And it's just a portion, actually. It's, it's just a selection from a longer song. If you were to go back, I'm not going to do it for the sake of time, but in 1 Chronicles 16, uh, you'll find that this is a um, anyway. But you go back there and you'll find out this was a song that David wrote uh, when uh, they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant there to Jerusalem. When he brought it in, this is a part of the song that they sang. Uh, so it's got a lot of history to it. And you think about that time, the praise that was being lifted up, the the celebration it was for the people, for David, that they were bringing the ark there to Jerusalem, anticipating the building of the temple. I mean, you can still feel that excitement just reverberating through these words. You can, you can tell, by the way, that uh, this is a little bit different than some of the rest of the Psalms we've looked at over the, the past couple of months. Uh, th this is uh, very much a song of praise, and we've done a lot of different types of songs. Most of them start with trouble and how to get out of trouble. This one, there's no trouble. We're just praising God. Well, this is this is a song for the good times, and uh, so it's very different. But it also has an amazing structure to it that, that, if you're not careful, you might just gloss over and miss. There's an amazing little poetic device structure that David weaves throughout this psalm. All Hebrew poetry is built on what's called parallelism. It's different than what we use. In our, our poetry, it rhymes. In Hebrew, it's take, you take two ideas and you put them together. Sometimes they build on each other. Sometimes they contrast one another. But Psalms, Proverbs, Job, all, all these books are written in this, uh, this form where you take two ideas and you put them together. Well, here you have this same little these little couplets like that, but there's an additional little thing that David does, and that David puts a whole lot of little triplets in here. Three ideas. Did you notice there, verse one and two? Sing, sing, sing. Pretty obvious there. But as you go through, I find nine groups of triplets like that in this. And those are my nine points, my nine observations. Don't be scared. I don't have very much on each one. That's why I titled the sermon Psalm in three-quarter time. That's what three-fourths, three-quarter time. If you're into piano or music, that's waltz time. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Amazing Grace, uh, one, two, three, one, two, three. And as you look at this song, even though it's built on these couplets, there's triplet after triplet after triplet of these ideas that are just woven throughout. And it's such a beautiful device that David uses in this psalm. And I want to kind of highlight this for you to show you just the majesty 
of God's Word in, in, in praising Him. The first thing we see is to sing unto the Lord in verse 1 and 2. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless His name. That one's pretty easy to find. That one's very obvious. Some of these are really obvious. Some of them are not quite so. But that one is very obvious. Three times the command to sing. And by the way, it's a song telling you to sing. I like that. And while you're singing, you're singing that we need to sing some more. But uh, the three times you have a, to sing a new song of redemption. That's what the new song is. We mentioned that before. But trace that state through the Bible. That's a song of redemption. And then you have to sing all the earth that everyone should join in and sing it. And then while we're singing the new song of redemption, while we're all gathering in as a great chorus, we're singing and we're blessing His name. We're lifting up the name of our God. All that know God, all that have tasted of His goodness, they that have knelt at Calvary, all should have a song in their hearts. That song, by the way, shouldn't just stay inside. It's got to come bubbling out at some point. You just kind of can't help it. Some people say, well, I, I can't sing very good. Well, that's why the Bible says make a joyful noise, right? You know, doesn't mean it has to be pretty, but it's just got to come out sometime. I'll be honest, I was thinking about it. Some of the most powerful songs and times I've heard them sung were not usually the best singers to be honest with you, but it's the people that, boy, they just sang it from their heart. Oh, they got a little flat on a note or two. Some of them mess the time. May mess the words up, but the most powerful ones I heard never usually the most talented singers. They're the people whose hearts are just so filled to overflowing that that love for God just comes pouring out of them. I'll take heart over talent any day. Note this, not just that we're supposed to sing. You can, oh, I've got a song, I'm so happy, and I'm walking along, I've got a song. Uh, some people like that worry me, you know, they're just happy all the time. But it's not just that we're supposed to sing, but we're supposed to sing unto the Lord. This isn't just a bubbly happiness, this is spiritual, this is joy, not performance. And by the way, it's not even personal for us, because what we're doing is we're singing for an audience of one. We're singing, not for ourselves, not for the people, but we're singing for Him. We're singing our song to Him. You can do that in church. You can do it in your car. You can do it walking down the road. You can do it anywhere. Just make sure your song is from your heart to His. The second group I want us to see is I want to talk about is proclaiming His name. There at the end of verse two, or in, in verse two and verse three, there's three different verbs that are used here past that sing. So sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all the people. Those three verbs that are used, this is what we do in our songs, in our sermons, in our actions, in our life. We bless His name, that is to give Him glory. We show forth we display it. We proclaim it to the people. We declare His glory. That's not just uh, you know in church, but out. Note that that's among the heathen. That's not inside the four walls of the church. That's not in the temple. That's I'm going to go out in the midst of a bunch of people that don't know God, that don't like God, and I'm going to sing on the top of my lungs about how great my God is. That's declaring your love in the midst of even those who do not love Him. It's a public faith. 
a faith that we live and model, a faith that we share with the lost, a faith that we sharpen uh, our, our faith with, with uh, amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. I was thinking about this on why it's popped in my mind. I think I told you before, but uh, when I was me and Becky were dating, and she didn't know I was going to tell a story, but anyway, it's not really about her so much, but when we were dating, uh, my mom told me, she said, the, the minute she knew I was a lost cause with Becky was because she couldn't make fun of me anymore. Mom would, would try to give me a hard time about having a girlfriend. I'm like, oh yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, uh, she knew when she couldn't give me a hard time. Uh, you know, but I didn't care. I wanted everybody to know. I got a girlfriend. I love my girlfriend. She's amazing. She's awesome. She still is. And uh, uh, Okay, thank you. You know, I didn't care who knew or who I told. If only we were so bold, though, with our love for Christ to keep our light shining throughout the week, not just on Sunday morning. Note also what we're proclaiming here. We're not proclaiming ourselves, our own name. We're proclaiming Him, His name, His salvation, His glory, His wonders. You know, if I introduce myself to someone, they probably forget who I am. Usually happens when somebody introduces themselves to me. I, I'm not very good at remembering that stuff. I wish I was better at it. But if somebody forgets who I am, that's nothing major at all. But it's, what I'd rather do is not introduce myself. I'd rather introduce them to Jesus. I'd rather introduce them to Him. They need to know Him far more than they need to know me. The third, third set of triplets here is the superiority of God. Verses 4 and 5. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. That's first. The second one. He is to be feared above all gods. And then four, all the gods of the nations are idols. Three reasons for praising God. Sometimes here on earth we praise people. We praise accomplishments that really don't amount to a hill of beans. But when we praise God, we're only giving Him a fraction of what He truly deserves. Why praise God? Because He is great. Why praise Him? Because He's above all other gods. Why praise Him? Because He is the only true, real, living, loving, saving God. Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, Zeus, you can throw them all in a pile. They're not great. They're nothing compared to my God. They're empty, vain shadows claiming to be something, but they're not. Our God is greater than all. He's not just strong. He's the strongest. He's not just wise. He's the wisest. He's not just good. He's the goodest. He is the best. I did that on purpose. Our God is infinitely greater than all. You have the superiority of God above all but it also goes on in verses 5 and 6 to talk about how great He is. Another triplet, three things here. The Lord made the heavens, in verse 5. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Three different clauses right there talking about the greatness of God. This one's not as obvious as some of the rest of them. But He made the heavens. Boy, the furthest we've ever reached is, is nothing. If the vastness of this universe was the length of this auditorium, we've barely gone an inch. 
from from where we're at on Earth. Was it Voyager probe? I mean, it's out there somewhere. We we've we've been to the moon. We've sent probes to Mars, but we've barely even crawled into eternity. But our God exists in it all. He spans this right and can't even contain them. And he created all of those things, all those plants, every little speck of dust on every planet out there. He knows. He knows. He put it there. He made the heavens. In his presence is matchless majesty. Charles Spurgeon wrote about that, talking about the honor and majesty. He says, Not an outward show or parade of costly robes does the glory of God consist. Such things are tricks of state which... Uh, with which the ignorant are dazzled. Holiness, justice, wisdom, grace, these are the splendors of Jehovah's courts. These the jewels and the gold, the regalia and the pomp of the courts of heaven. Down here, uh, that last part, strength and beauty in this sanctuary. You know, down here, things that are strong are often not beautiful. Things that are beautiful are not often strong. China is very it's beautiful, but it's not something you put in the dishwasher. It's not something you give to a toddler. But, uh, you, you know, good old plastic Tupperware kind of stuff. It ain't pretty, but it'll survive a nuclear war. Strength and beauty don't always go together, but in God, there's both. He's stronger than all, and yet He is still more beautiful than all. Nothing can compare to Him. That's how great He is. Now we respond back in the fifth triplets here in verses 7 and 8. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Three commands to, to give. And by the way, you're, you're, you're giving what's already His. Some people say that's a, a scribe. I, I don't think a scribe is quite strong enough a word for it because we're not just saying it's His. We're, we're, it's like we're bouncing it back to Him. We're giving it back, the blessings and the glory back to Him. He's got the glory whether we give it to Him or not. I mean, it's really not dependent on us. Every knee will bow, every tongue is going to confess it. So in this we recognize, we acknowledge, we express that these things are God's. And who should give it to them? Everyone. Oh, the kindreds of the people. That's everyone. What should be given? Well, expressions of His greatness, His glory. That's His honor, His splendor, His majesty, His strength. They are weak, but He is strong. And the result... That's the result there that's going on of the praise. This is who He is. We, we step back and we realize, look at who God is. Look at how great He is. Look at what He has done. Look at creation. Look at salvation. Look at His providence in our lives. Look at the majesty of His Word. You take all those things in and you can't help but step back and start saying, boy, great is our God. Hallelujah to the name of our Lord. You start praising Him. This is the reaction through the greatness we've just highlighted in the previous verses. This is true worship. God's greatness is revealed and we respond with the glory that is due to Him. But it's not just that we worship Him. I like this. Our worship is practical. Praise is practical. That's what we see in the sixth set of triplets here. 
Because after we're giving God the glory there in verse 8, the last part of that verse, bring an offering and come into His courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. True praise is not just something we say or sing. It's something that affects the way we live. We're affected by God's greatness. I thought about little babies. You get a little baby and you know they, they first start eating real food or baby food and you give them that you know diced up mint banana stuff and the rice. Remember they're making that rice pudding stuff. Oh, sorry, but it's like they're eating glue almost. You know, there's just nothing to that. But you're teaching them how to eat. You know how to how to do that. But that stuff that that's not good. But the first time that little baby they're sitting there and you give them a spoonful of ice cream. And you see their eyes, woohoo! We have found something now. You know what? They start losing the taste for the baby food. You know what they start wanting? They realize the good stuff's on your plate. They want what you got. I don't want that, that smashed up bananas and stuff like that anymore. Give me some of those mashed potatoes and gravy over there. You know, I want the good stuff. Similarly, when we get a taste of God's goodness, we start acting a little different too. We start wanting something else. It affects the way we act. The things of this world dim and lose their value. The vices that once ruled us lose their savor. We hunger, we thirst after the things of God. You look at those three actions, bringing an offering, worshiping the Lord, fearing Him. Can any one of us help but we just got to give gifts to people we love. You love someone, you, you, you see something, boy, my grandkid will love that. My husband will love that. My wife will love that. I'll just get this for so-and-so just because I'm thinking about them. But can you just not help but give a gift? When we become before God with an offering, that's not just that's not a sin offering, by the way. It's a very specific word. That's talking about the, like the Thanksgiving offerings. We're, we're praising Him. That's not talking about a sin offering. It's praise and thanksgiving. How many of us love to see our loved ones all dressed up? You know, like Easter last week, poor kids. Every Easter, what do we do? We, we line them up. We get our family picture. My kids love it. I know I'm scarred for life. Those moments myself. Jerk every now and then, you know. Uh, but the, the blue bonnet pictures and everything else that we, we make the kids do... And, you know what, kids hate it. Why? But what we want, we love it. We love to see our love. Well, don't you love to see your spouse and they're all dressed up, go somewhere nice? Don't you love? You see that? Well, when we look at God, we worship Him. We see His beauty, His holiness. No imperfections to be found. Can you not help but expect the world around us to appreciate your loved ones? Don't you realize that everybody else ought to know how great your grandkid is? Everybody just ought to know. And you want to tell them. Show your pictures. Nobody does that anymore with your wallet. Now we get the phone out. We flip through the phone. But you know, you used to pull out the wallet and all the pictures would fall out. But uh, you, you want to tell the world, well, hey, how about with our God? When we worship Him, we want those around us to see His greatness. And what do they do? They marvel and they fear at His majesty when we reveal it to them. The seventh thing here, the supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. Verse number 10. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. 
The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Actually, this verse is unique in this, as far as I can tell, looking at this. I told you, Hebrew poetry is usually based on couplets. It's two ideas smashed together. This is three. It happens some, but it's, it's less common. Uh, there's one chapter in Lamentations that's written this way. But it's, it's a triplet. Right in the middle of all this, he changes the time signature. Right in the middle of this. My fellow piano players can appreciate that when they throw that at you in the arrangement. But he changes the time signature. What is he doing? He's trying to get our attention here. This is important. He wants us to take note. So he changes the form of what he is presenting here into a, from a couplet to a triplet uh, in structure. And there's, there's, um, there's three things here I think he's wanting to highlight. He wants us to, to catch our eye, our heart, and our mind with this. First, that God reigns over all. He will not just rule in the future. He's in control right now. Our Lord reigns. The second is that His kingdom is sure. It is firmly established from eternity past. It will continue to eternity future. It will not fall. It will not diminish. It will not fade. Nations come and go. Governments come and go. But our Lord's rule will never end. And last, that he will judge all men. By the way, that's the foundation of the gospel message, is it not? There is a God. He is over all. His plan, his will, will be accomplished. And he will judge every man. It is then for us to be prepared to meet him. It is for us to help others prepare to meet him also. Verses 11 and 12, we come to the the second to last triplet here, and it's heaven and nature sing. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the Lord rejoice. It carries on, but the heavens rejoice, the sea roars, the fields joyful. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. Mankind, if you think about it, mankind is the only part of creation that has forgotten who its maker is. Every little dog, every little cat, every little insect, every atom of everything in this universe knows who its maker is. Every creature knows who gave it life, who cares for it. But man, likes to forget. I'm sorry, I, don't, I don't think that this is just talking about creation praising God, though. It's tying together the previous verse, verse 10, to the what's going to come in verses uh, 13. It's tying these things together. And verse 10 is proclaiming God's kingdom. Verse 13, we're going to see the kingdom coming. This description here talking about the world rejoicing, I'll be really specific here, I think it's prophetic, I think it's talking about the millennial kingdom, about the thousand year reign of Christ, Revelation 20. I think this is where the lion and the lamb lay down together. This is that wonderful time for mankind 
I don't think we talk enough about it. Christ ruling and reigning on earth, the earth in an Eden-like state, all the promises of the Old Testament and the New Testament all being fulfilled. I think, I think this is glimpsing a day to come. We talk often about heaven, but there will be a time when there will be practically heaven on earth. After the horrors of the tribulation, Christ will return. He will establish His kingdom. He will rule on the throne of David. He will, we will be there with Him, by the way. I love that in Revelation 20. We will rule and reign with Him. I had a guy from Church of Christ one time come and say, oh, that's not talking about Him. I said, well, who's Him? It says we're going to rule and reign with Him. Who is that? That, that, that? That's Him. That's Christ. The prophets could barely describe how wonderful that day will be. I think we're glimpsing a glorious day to come. And in verse 13, it makes it really clear, I think. This is before the war, which actually is, is it's ending the phrase from the previous verse. It says, And the trees of the wood would rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with this truth. He's coming. He's coming. In Hebrew, you repeat things to amplify it. And that's what it says. He's coming. He's coming. We want you to know it's sure. It's certain. He will come again. And you better be ready. All will stand before Him one day. He will pass judgment on all men. That's what that last triplet there describes. What men? The earth. All men. Through what? How will He judge? Through righteousness. There's crooked judges in this world. There's judges you can't trust. they got an agenda. They don't follow the law. There's judges that will take a bribe. There's judges that just want to get out of there and go play golf. But God is the righteous judge. He judges fairly and perfectly. And how will He judge? By His truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How will we judge? By knowing. We better be ready. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. We'll all stand before Him. We need to be ready. As a Christian, ready to give report to our commander. To give a report to our master. For the lost, the day of terrible judgment. You can be ready. You can miss that. But you better be ready. You better be ready because He is coming. He will judge. Three quick thoughts. And I'm done this morning. Musician, y'all go ahead and come on down. First off, are you giving Him the praise He deserves? This is a psalm of praise. It just drips praise. You ring it and there's praise that just comes out. You can't help it but praise Him when you read it this. But are we giving Him the praise that He is due? Not just at church, but in our lives. Are we honoring Him? Are we glorifying Him? Are we declaring Him to those around about us? Second, are we longing for Him to return? Our old house, we drove by there, old, the old house is gone, I grew up in. It's kind of sad, but I can see there the old, uh, the old living room, and that had a big old window, probably the biggest window in the house, is right there in the old living room. I remember when I was a little kid, I, I would go to that window and I would look and I could see the highway down there and I would watch the cars coming if I knew somebody was coming. If I knew Grandma was coming or if Dad was coming home or if I had a friend coming over, I would go watch for their cars. 
Even if I didn't know whose car they were, I'd just watch for the one that slowed down, you know? But I would sit there and I would watch, anticipating for, for someone to come. My friends, are we watching with anticipation? Signs and everything. You, you, you see where this world's at. You see the things taking shape. Uh, we're getting ready for this day. We better be ready. Better be ready to see Him, to meet Him. He's coming. Are you ready? Are you longing? Do you long for that day that He will come? And then last and most importantly, are you ready to meet Him? Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body, according to the if done, whether it be good or bad. For the believer, that's what awaits. We stand before God, and it's a question of rewards. For the unbeliever to stand before God, it's a, it's a question, I guess, of punishment, you could say. The guilt is there. And all it is is for the doom, for the, uh, for the sentence to be pronounced and carried through. We will all stand before him, Christian. Will we stand before him and be able to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will, will he be ashamed of us? Will he say, Oh, yeah, oh, I remember you. Yeah, I talked to you a while. But are we ready to meet him? Are we ready to meet him? But most importantly, are we going to meet him on the right side? There will come a day, there's a deadline for everybody. I, I don't know when it is. I don't know what will take place but I think there's a deadline for everybody but God says that's, that's it that's it and it may be the last time your heart beats it's, it's over, there's no more, no more chance be ready, be ready to meet him. make sure he is your Savior don't wait for a better day don't wait for a better time don't wait for a better opportunity we don't know when he's coming we don't know when he's going to call your name be ready to meet him oh and what number? 281 in the Baptist hymnal this morning for the invitation song. If you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us, your greatness that is displayed. How, how much better is that greatness displayed than in salvation? I don't know. But Lord, we just pray that you press it into our hearts that we give you the praise that you are due. And Lord, while we're praising you to keep an eye on that is that is to come, that we're prepared for the future, prepared for a eternity in heaven, prepared to meet you. Lord, that's what we're here to do, is to get ready for that next life to come, to help others be ready. I just pray your blessings, I pray the challenge upon us as we do our best to be faithful to this great need around us. Speak to our hearts in this, this simple message, Lord, in a lot of ways, very simple thoughts that we just praise you and that we be ready, prepared to meet you. Drive these into our hearts, I pray, in this invitation time in our holy name. Amen.